outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 76. Today in the show, simply put, Dan and I are going to be divulging everything we can think of about killing October bucks. Right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, brought to you by Sitka Gear. Now today it's just me and Dan, and we're taking a little time today in mid-October to take a deep breath and process a few things. You know, over the past year and a half, probably, we've interviewed dozens and dozens of whitetail experts, while also between me and Dan hunting literally hundreds of hours over that time too. And the result is that we, and hopefully you too have learned a lot about deer hunting. So with that said, today I wanted to spend some time reviewing what we know about killing bucks in October, what we've learned, what we've seen work, and what we plan to do the rest of this month to try and fill our tags. So in short, we're going to be discussing everything we can think of that will help you and us kill an October buck. So does that sound like a pretty good plan, Dan? When you say just me and you, we are like the encyclopedia of whitetail knowledge so whoever's listening should feel privileged says the guy who (laughs) closed his eyes and accidentally shot while talking to the guy who missed a buck all in the last week (laughs) hey mine was mother nature okay i could not control what happened on my on my missed buck i don't know i told my wife and she thought it sounded pretty uh pretty sketchy Well, your wife also thought that it'd be a good idea to ship ice cream through the mail. So <laughs> I'm not listening to what she has to say. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Touche. Oh, man. But yeah, I think uh, we do at least have some things that we've learned. And right. we definitely have got some experiences. We've It's been kind of cool over the last two years. You know, we've we've heard from so many different great people We've had a lot of our own experiences, and then we've gone out the last two years and hunted and then actually seen a lot of things we've talked about or heard about. We've put them into play and seen yep. a lot of these things come you know, come to life. Um, and I know a lot of our listeners have too, as I've gotten, and I know you have too, we've heard from a lot of our listeners and, and readers from Wired to Hunt too of 
you know, being able to take some of the things they've learned from this podcast, put them into action in the field, and have actually killed bucks because of it. Lots yep. and lots and lots of people have been emailing us and letting us know about that stuff. And, dude, that's about as cool as it gets. Yeah. It's it's a it's a pretty awesome when someone sends you a picture. It's pretty cool. And they say, hey, I listened to what you and Mark had to say. I put that into play, and I'm holding these antlers because of it. So that that's – that's that's awesome, you know. Absolutely, I just love it. Big big shout out to one of our listeners, Thomas Arnott. I believe is how you say his name. He just killed a, a big old buck last week, um, and we saw that on Facebook. That's pretty cool. And uh, there's a number of other people I can't remember their names right now, but I'll try to check out some of these and and give you guys shout outs. We'd love to hear about it when you do have success. So keep them coming. For sure. So that also. <laughs> You know, I don't think I'm ever not going to say that being said. It's just, it's just, it's just me, Dan. I can't stop it. With that said, Mark <laughs> is going to say, with that said. Yeah, I wonder if anyone's still doing the drinking game. I don't know. They'd be blacked out by now if that's the case. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, <laughs> what I'm trying to get to here, Dan, is uh, I want to recap what we did this past weekend, right? It's, uh, it's October 13th today when we're recording this. Uh, so we were hunting October what 9th, 10th, 11th, right. just before we recorded this. So I want to recap what you and me were up to, some of the things we saw, and then from there move on to what we're planning on doing. And then I want to kind of review some of the lessons we learned in early October and then start talking about things that are coming up. So what we're doing in mid-October, any ideas and advice we have for that time frame, we can continue to debate some of the things we've always debated. Um, and then finally close things out by talking about the last week, week and a half of October when things start shifting again. So that's kind of my, my blueprint for what I want to talk about today. But this weekend, how'd it go for you? But hold on real quick, Dan, just one second, because we do need to pause real briefly for a word from our partners at Sika Gear, who believe in the Wired Hunt podcast and you guys so much that they're willing to help us keep this show afloat. So as we do each week, we're hearing from Sika product category leader, Dennis Zuck. And today, I wanted to pick Dennis's brain about base layers. Specifically, I was curious, you know, what's the difference between loose base layers and the tighter compression type base layers? And which ones are the best choice for whitetail hunters? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of goes back to, you know, why are they created the way that they are? And, and saying, is that is that who I am? And, you know, a lot of the, the compression fitting things had to do with circulation, had to do with blood flow. Um, and, and there's a lot of science around that, you know, um, about muscle fatigue. Um, but the reality is, is that's, that's a very athletic view. You know, am I, how much am I, how much activity am I going on? Most whitetailers aren't, you know, running to the stand or nor are they, you know, doing, you know, jumping jacks while they're in the stand, you know? So, you know, not saying that may not be what you're doing, but you should think about that in your consideration, you know, as you get to the looser fitting ones, they still need to be close enough fitting that they're going to be able to grab and, and wick things away from your skin, but they still need to be comfortable. They still need to be able to trap air in there. Um, they still need to give you good range of motion, you know? So thinking about, you know, the, you don't have to sacrifice comfort for compression unless compression is what you're trying to accomplish because of the activity. So there you go. Some interesting insight to keep in mind next time you're looking to purchase some hunting base layers. And if you're interested in learning specifically about Sitka's base layers or any of their other products, visit SikkaGear.com. And now, Dan, for real this time, how'd your weekend go? I tell you what, man, it's, it has been two years since I have successfully shot and killed a, a deer. 
All right. So I didn't shoot any does in 2014 and I didn't shoot any does in 2013. All right. Last year I didn't shoot any deer. Uh, so I shot two does this week, this weekend, Friday uh, night. Um, I got out of work late, uh, later than I expected. I ended up going, um, having to stop at home because I forgot to, uh, charge my Ozonics battery the previous night. So I had to pick that up and I packed up, got into my truck and headed down straight to one of my, uh, properties. And I was kind of debating because I was a little late. I was kind of debating if I wanted to go what where I wanted to hunt. The place I really wanted to hunt, I would have had to do a, a run and gun setup, fresh setup, you know, had trim out branches and all that stuff. And at the same time, I had a stand that was already set for a good wind. But I, I had gotten trail camera pictures the last time I checked uh, my camera of – two bucks. One was a teeter totter buck. And then one was a buck that I have a long history with. And, um, so I said, screw it. I, I got to the farm a little late. I got finished set, setting up somewhere between five and five thirty, Friday so on Friday night. And that's, yeah. that's pretty late. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So as I'm screwing in my Ozonics bracket and hanging my Ozonics, I hear crunching. And there is a was it Was it a guy with an acorn cruncher? It was a guy with an acorn cruncher. <laughs> and he, he, I shot him. So. Okay. <laughs> Good story. No. Uh, so like two, uh, a button buck and a, and a small doe came through. And I, I would have shot her if I was ready, but my, I didn't even have an arrow knocked yet. So I let him walk, walk by and, um, they were upwind to me. So they, they act, and I'm going to, you know, I don't ever plug any products, but I'm going to tell you right now, I have seen so much success with nose jammer. It's not even funny, man. I'm telling you right now, I walked, they followed my trail in to where I was standing. Man, I, uh, I think you're full of crap. I just think you're trying to plug something. They must be giving you, <laughs> sliding you money on the table or something, yeah. Dan. <laughs> no, I'm not joking, man. I cannot. It blows my mind. I, I, I was walking the cornfield edge to the corner, and then I would walk from this corner down the other side of the field edge and hop hop this little um, fence to my tree stand. And then I my main focus was this bean field where they were coming out of. And these, these two deer, and obviously they're young, but that doesn't matter because the rest of my story, they were young and they followed my scent and kept working on their way down. So they, they, they crossed paths with me for a good 50 yards. Yeah. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked about it before, but I've seen the same thing after I started trying it last year in November. I, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I really yeah. do see the same thing, same thing this, and I, I hate to, you know, we don't like to do this and we don't try to plug too much stuff, but really between nose jammer and that Ozonics machine that we talk about, I mean, I've, I saw it crazy opening weekend. Like I just had numerous, numerous does directly downwind of me. And I really do believe that those two things together, man, they, I mean, I didn't get, I didn't get winded the night I killed my buck. I, I had all sorts of deer right behind me, perfectly right. downwind, nothing. Then again, I went out, uh, well, I don't know, several days after that, same thing. It's just, it's working for me and I'm, you know, what more can you say? And I think a lot of it has to do with it being a version sit. So there was no other scent in the area. I came in, I set up, I trimmed my branches. Um, 
I was in the middle of trimming my branches when these deer came by. I let them, I let them work their way by. Uh, and then the, uh, and then I finally got all set up. Well, about f- 10 minutes later, I heard some, you can hear when they jump this fence. Cause there's like this little, the fence, there's a main fence. And then it looks like the top bob, piece of barbed wire is, has fallen down to the side. So when they jump it, it makes a little noise. It rackets. So I heard that. And here comes a doe and a yearling and they were munching on the corn for a little bit and they came through and the doe stopped and I drilled her. Like I got it, I got it on camera and I, I've hit deer hard before, but I must've hit her opposite side shoulder or something. I don't even know. And she just fell straight to the ground. Like, like someone pushed her over and she got up and ran 15 yards and then that's where she expired. So that was, that was the first deer. That's awesome. Um, then, so I'm like, okay, I can do this easy. I can get out of my stand now and I can go cleaner and drag her to the truck in daylight and not have to worry. But with the temperatures that just recently dropped and the barometer on the rise, I, I, I felt that I was going to see more than just those deer. And sure enough, about 30 minutes later, maybe a little less, the the first set of deer that came through, they hopped the fence into this bean field. They were just moseying around in there, downwind of me, right in my ozonic stream. Yeah, they're young deer, so whatever, but just hanging out there. Then 30 minutes later, I see some horns through this timber. And you know how we always talk about wanting to be give put yourself in a position where the deer feel like they have the advantage. Absolutely. One thing I've noticed is that one thing I've noticed is that when a deer is going to a destination like a food source, there are times when they're going to have the wind to their back, especially if they're they're entering a large area that they can that they can see in. So the weather channel said I was having a northeast wind, right? So I get to my stand location, I get up in the tree and the wind is is northwest. So I'm actually about 50 yards from where I wanted to be. Cuz I I my scent was going to be blowing into the field. I didn't want it blowing into this marsh that I was kind of on the edge of. So the deer the, the bucks came with the wind from this section of timber through a horse pasture, jumped a fence, and then came out. And there was three bucks, two two Larrys or two young two young bucks, probably both two years two year olds for sure. And then I saw a bigger set of tines in the in the timber, and it's a big nine pointer. And he came out and he just bullied these deer all over the place. And he was had his ears pinned back and he was pushing around and this is this is broad daylight still he made a scrape and then uh he came out into the field all three bucks downwind of myozonics and they're just sitting there and the one the the one that i now after looking at his pictures i feel he's a three-year-old okay he's got he's got a really good antlers antler he has really good antlers i'm fired up <laughs> you're struggling here he has really good antlers, but his body says three-year-old to me. So 
I'm glad that I didn't get the opportunity to shoot him. He was at 45 yards quartering away while he was working that scrape. I had a, I had a, a quartering away shot, pretty decent, but I had some deer right below me, those other two deer that had worked their way in, and I felt this buck was going to come towards me because all the trail camera pictures kind of showed a, a, a gradual movement past my tree stand. Well, long story short, they the bucks all started were like in a single file line coming right towards me, and some coyotes started howling in the oh, back by my truck, and uh, I'm like, oh great tails up they they ran back into the marsh and then uh about 30 minutes later right at last light i'm sitting there and a doe comes through and i pop her at like five yards so she ended up running into the marsh okay and uh i was kind of i, I wanted i watched her lay down on the field edge and so I'm like, okay, I can go get her. So I go to my truck. I clean the first doe, drag her to my truck. I go get the second. I, I go to get the second deer, and she's not in the, she's not in on the field edge anymore. And I didn't want to go into that marsh for fear of spooking some of these bucks. I know it was a good shot, and I was just gonna wait and recover in the morning. So the next morning, I go to the stand. I didn't see any bucks that come through, and I retrieved the dough cleaned her and now i have meat in my freezer pretty good weekend yeah so the story there is there are times you know you're so focused on putting the wind in their favor now right we've talked about that we're putting the wind in their favor we're putting the wind in their favor well this time the wind wasn't in their favor at all the wind was in my favor and they approached this marsh with the wind to their backs then they, they, they cross the fence. So these deer, just when you think they're going to be doing one thing, they do something completely different. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that though. I've seen the same thing where, you know, I, I hear about this sometimes. I still don't know if there's any, if you can really say there's a rule to it, because right. like you said, there's a, they're always doing different things They're I think they're using the wind to their advantage in some way, but maybe it's, you know, they, maybe they're circling. And then when they get to a certain area or search to a certain point, they're ready to enter the field and they can see into the field so now they can see danger ahead of them now they want to smell anything coming behind them maybe i don't know and, um, and really they're not scent checking for anything they're not looking for hot does yet they know it's not breeding season yet so i don't feel that they're they're you know because because during the rut they're they're skirting field edges to see if there's any hot does in that field or they're they're dropping down below a bedding area or something to to scent check that well, now they're really not scent checking anything. They're not necessarily looking for does. And I think the level of how they use their nose now is not necessarily as high. Yeah, but I do think there's some, I think there is some level of security that oh, they yeah, are. For sure. I mean, they're still, they're still checking areas, I think, to some degree for danger. Nope. But I, I couldn't tell you one way that they always do it. It seems like there's, there's always going to be different ways they go about it. That's for sure. It's a fact. Interesting stuff, though. Glad to see that you uh, had a good encounter and put some meat in the freezer. That's a good way to start the season. It felt so good to 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 hit a deer and feel confident about the shot. That is a confidence booster. Oh, yeah. I shot my first doe, you know, and I was 
I don't want to say I was hesitant, but I was, I drew back and I was like, okay, make sure double check. Okay. There you go. Boom. Drop, you know, drilled her. The second doe came through, it was like, it was like I was on autopilot. Like I, I had all the confidence in the world. So it's just like getting that under your belt makes you that much more confident for, you know, the buck encounter. Oh yeah. No, I think that's so important, especially if you've got like past couple seasons you've had where you haven't been yeah. able to kill something. You've had a couple rough uh, situations with, you know, hits and stuff. I think yeah. the best way to get over that is, is get out there and start killing some does and just regain that confidence. Yeah. Um, and I was on a high for like two days straight. It's awesome. it's just, you know, it's just a doe, but I was so jacked about it, man. I mean, nothing, just, nothing, nothing, no such thing as just a doe. Right. I, I mean, I, I was pumped. I was, I was pumped exactly. up. Exactly. That's, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear it, man. We, uh, we were trying to have a weekend like yours, killing a couple does here in Michigan. That was the plan. Um, my buddy Josh, my dad was supposed to come down, but he got sick. So just my friend Josh. Um, and we, you know, I was hoping we were going to be able to lay down several deer, um, on this property where there's just a huge number of does, but we kind of encountered, um, you know, that mid October change in deer behavior. And, um, I was hoping that they would stick to some of the easy patterns where we could usually get some of these does down, but they did not. We had a major change in deer behavior that a lot of people, attribute to the quote-unquote October lull, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But um, the deer were not hitting the green food sources like they had been just a few days beforehand nearly as much. So instead of there being like 10, 12, 15 does feeding these food plots, we had two one night and three the second night. Um, we hunted. We even hunted the mornings just because I was trying to get more opportunities at does and uh, just nothing. It was it was tough hunting. So um, we ended up, well, not we, my buddy Josh did end up shooting a doe the last night. So we had a little success there, um, but it was a little slow. On the other hand, though, my buddy Andy, um, one of the guys filming for Wired to Hunt, he did kill a really nice mature buck um, Saturday night. So that was pretty cool. We got to go help him recover that and just a huge bodied old buck we weighed him he was 235 pounds um yeah so really big body deer it was crazy look look the neck on him just looked like like it should have been november 10th when we're looking at him this is but instead he looked like that on october 10th so that was pretty cool awesome nothing better than just seeing a huge bodied buck coming through the timber oh yeah just uh man that's that is really really cool when you get a deer that mature with that kind of body and um that's what that's what we're going for, you know? That's right. So that was our weekend. Um so can I, can I ask you a question? You can't. Nope. Nope. We're gonna move on. That's kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what when you? you were cleaning that dough yeah? that he shot, did you open up the stomach to see what the deer was eating? We did not, because we were trying to get it opened up and tucked away to the side real quick so I could get back in the blind and try to shoot a doe. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. But my always, guess is that she was on hitting acorns a lot right now. Right. One thing that I noticed with the deer that I were cleaning, even though there was just a little bit of corn in, in there and not actually, because you can tell if a deer's eating clover a lot, its stomach has just a ton of clover in it, green chewed up. These deer both had, it was full of brown, which tells me it's acorns. Yeah. So right now, and I think some of it, you know, the quote-unquote lull may have something to do with that 
but the they're they're eating acorns as from my experience anyway my deer are eating acorns right now oh yeah no doubt about it if there's good if there's a good hard mass crop around you right now they are definitely they're definitely on that and that's why a lot of people are you know people struggle this time of year because a lot of times these deer are moving off of some of those green food sources or easier spots where you can see them out in the open like they were in September and maybe the first couple days of October and now they're back in the timber and like like I saw it's it's hard to get on those deer unless you want to push in there after them so acorns it is that's for sure so before we get to that October lull topic though I want to take a real quick step back for an opportunity here. We just finished kind of the early season phase of our hunting season, Dan. We talked a lot about things leading up to it. Um, anything that you really learned from this early October time frame? Any early October lessons learned this year? For me, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't get a hunt. I, I haven't been hunting as much because I have kids and responsibilities and my wife has a business so I'm needed more at home and that's okay for me because you know I want to save the arguments <laughs> for for November but with that said I am one thing I've kind of learned is now is probably not well I hate to I hate to say that because I can contradict myself on so many levels now is the time that if you have trail cameras really start watching the deer movement. And if you're not getting if you're not getting deer on trail cameras, don't be afraid to take that trail camera down and move it someplace else to try to, you know, triangulate the position of a deer. Even though even though this time of year they're moving around between different food sources and they're they're probably making bigger laps, so to speak, don't be afraid to move your trail cameras and try to find different locations that they that some of your some of your deer are moving to and that will allow you to say okay they're here they're here they're also here and it might might give you an opportunity to triangulate their position and are you saying that more so heading into the middle of the month or are you saying that that's something that you think's really better for that early period i'm saying i'm saying for early period Gotcha. Early period going into going into the lull because you know yeah they're hitting scrapes right now probably after dark but they're still you know they're not hitting as scrapes as often because I watched three deer this past weekend only the mature one hit one scrape and he was on it for maybe one second scrape scrape pee done and it really it took that long the other deer didn't hit the scrapes at all that I that I saw. So it's, they, they're not, uh, I, I feel they're not using those scrapes. Yes, they are. They're using them, but not as often as uh, they will in the next, you know, two weeks. Yeah. This is definitely the ramping up period that they're just yep. entering now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting stuff. Yeah. I think um, for me, from an early season standpoint, this season just reaffirmed things that I've been, you know, seeing become more and more true over the years, just the, the importance of in the early season, taking advantage of, if you have the right conditions, strike hard and strike, you know, if you've got Intel yep. and the right conditions, it's a great time to get a kill. Yep. Um, and you know, I had, I had that situation and I'm just glad, you know, that probably the, the best, the, the thing I did right that made the largest impact for me with my October 1st kill was the fact that I changed my travel plans because I was originally planning on just going to Ohio for that weekend and that day. 
but I had that sighting on Monday where I, I scouted from a long distance and saw these deer out there, and then I saw the conditions were going to be really good for that night, the wind, the barometer, the moon, the temperature, and I said, these things are lined up for a really good hunt. So I said to myself, okay, I've got Ohio, which is a great place, or I can hunt in Michigan where it's not usually as great, but I've got these couple cards that are really looking good for me, you know, in my favor. And I decided to postpone that Ohio trip and instead do that hunt, and it paid off. Um, so I think when you do get those things lining up right, you can't pussyfoot around it. You have to take advantage of it because those special times don't come along that often. Um, and so if, if, if I learned anything, it was just simply when you've got everything lined up like that, do not delay, strike hard, strike fast, but make sure, you know, it's informed. So my question to you is, are you going to be in Iowa this weekend? My answer for you is hell yes. Okay, good, because we have a major cold front coming through. I'm kind of stoked about it. Yeah, I was, I've been staring at the same screen now, just waiting for it to change, but it's not changing. And temperatures are going to be dropping almost 20 degrees from the, the weekly average to Saturday. The high is supposed to be like 56, 57 degrees. So I'm going to – I unfortunately, I have a wedding, a stupid Dude, wedding. Dude, you yeah. and weddings. Yeah, tell me about it. So Friday night I'll be in the stand. Saturday morning I'll be in the stand. Friday or Saturday night I have uh, I have a wedding, but uh, yeah. Well, but it's going to be awesome regardless. I'll keep you posted on how the woods look because uh, I in, in the part of Iowa where I'm going to be hunting it's going to be like 73 degrees on Thursday. Yep. High of 73 on Thursday. High on Friday is going to be 53. So it's going to drop 20 degrees in one day. Yep. So I'm driving Thursday night to get to my camping spot that night. Friday morning, I'm going to check a couple trail cameras on these properties, or at least on one of these ones that I'm not planning on hunting. Check a camera, put a camera out, and then head to the property I am planning on hunting and get in there early because I have to hang and hunt. You know, This is all, uh, all run and gun because I have not had a chance to set anything up on these properties. I'm learning them for the first time. So... It's going to be basically trying to observe and learn about these properties over the weekend. Um, but with these great conditions, um, that big cold front hitting, and we've got a good moon position too, um, these things all you know indicate it could be good for deer movement. So I'm hoping to you know set in some spots where I can observe and learn something, but also maybe get lucky and, and be in a position to you know hopefully at least encounter a mature buck. You never know. Um, probably unlikely but maybe i'll look into something so hey man anything can happen anything can happen anytime yeah especially when these cold fronts coming through and i believe when you when you say a good moon is i think that the moon is going to be setting an hour before the sun sets is that true i think so okay so any you know it depends on who you talk to some guys are you know they want that moon straight above them some guys want the moon just coming up or just going down as as prime time as far as the sun where the sun's positioned in the sky so the moon is setting somewhere around 515 on friday night i believe and then you mean the rising sun, setting oh the sun setting the sorry sun, the sun is setting at about 630 but the moon is going to be setting at you mean rising no <laughs> the moon in the evening is rising well, what about what about Black Moon? I mean, no, I'm serious. I'm I'm I can pull it up right now if you want me to. Weather Channel. Because the moon rises in the evening when the sun's setting, and in the morning, the sun is rising, the moon is setting. Not every time. 
not not every time because okay. well <laughs> anyway anyway we can uh we can talk about it later but as from from that standpoint the uh the the sun is going to be low in the sky and the moon will be low in the sky and that's good for deer movement okay yeah, I mean, I agree in the fact that whenever the moon is rising during that final two, couple hours of daylight, that's a good thing. And then also, if we're looking at the overhead times, on Friday, the moon is going to be directly overhead just a little bit before 4 p.m., just a little bit before 5 p.m. on Saturday, and just around 5.30 on Sunday. So those are all during that you know final couple hours of daylight, too. So overhead times are good. Moon rising or setting times could be good. So cold front, lots of things looking good for this weekend. Yep. Um, middle of October. So that's what we're planning on doing. I'm going to be trying to figure out these couple properties, moving some cameras around, observing from a couple stand locations. Sunday I'm going to try to hang a couple stands for the rut trip um, so that I have something that will be set. Um, and then I'll be back two weeks after that to actually start hunting the rut. Um, that said... During middle of October, the October lull is much talked about this time frame where things can go south for some hunters. You posted a blog post a couple days ago or a week ago or so that said, October lull, you're drunk. I think something like that. Go home October lull, you're drunk. There you go. Explain. Why do you say that? Because Okay. So the deer are moving. All right. The scrapes are appearing. Okay, so some of this, some of this uh, movement that we're seeing is it could be pressure from hunters, it could be change in food source, but the deer are still moving. Okay, so I think the October lull, in my opinion, is people who are field edge hunters. They see the deer several days in a row. They the deer stop moving to that position. And then they're like, well, it's that October lull just because I mean, it's, it's almost like it's a term with no scientific evidence behind it. If well, that makes sense. It, it, it does. And I think to your point, which you just made the science, like there is actually studies that mm-hmm. clearly show that deer movement, simply just movement is on a steady rise through October. So there's right. definitely, there's definitely no decline in deer movement, but there most definitely is a change in deer behavior. Would you agree? Yes, I believe there is a change in deer behavior. And when I say, I think there's a difference between deer behavior and deer movement. So uh, deer behavior to me is, okay, they strip their velvet. Now they start scraping and rubbing. Their Their behavior is kind of changing, getting ramped up for the rut. There's a huge behavior shift when it's the rut. They, they, they don't like to hang out with other bucks. They're fighting each other. And then after that, they go back to another behavior change, which is, you know, they start getting back to a social animal again. Okay. Now a deer, a deer movement change is, can be influenced by several things. It can be influenced by hunting pressure. It can be um, influenced by food source changes, which I think is what a lot of people are thinking, you know, what a lot of people are seeing when I, when I ripped or cut that doe's stomach open, it was all acorns. Okay. Yeah. I was hunting a field edge. And I think a lot of that has to do with the cold front that helped come through, but that's just telling me that a lot of their time is spent 
on acorns in the timber. The deer don't have to come to a field edge to eat. There's so much greens and there's so much mast in the timber right now. They don't have to come out if they don't want to. Yeah, very true. I think that, that, you know, we've talked about this before, but I think that they're definitely like the, the phenomenon of the October lull mm-hmm. has truth to it in that it is, if you, if you, if it depends on how you define the October lull. If we're talking, does, does deer movement decline? No. But does observed deer uh, activity from a hunter, from the average hunter standpoint, decline? Maybe if you're not adjusting properly. Right. So the key is you need to make those adjustments. If you, if you want to avoid the lull, you need to change because, like you just said, food sources are changing. Deer are adjusting to hunting pressure, which is ramping up. Um, deer are adjusting to changing cover. You know, leaves are starting to fall. Yep. That's going to change. Um, crops are coming out. Crops are coming out, exactly. So as these things change, if you stick to the same things you were doing two weeks ago, you're going to have a lull, no doubt about it. So you have to change things up at this time. Right, and that is why this Friday night when this cold front is coming through, I will be in one of my best stands I have hung. Right. It's going to be, it's one of my stands. I, I typically set just for the rut, but I have the perfect win. It's right next to a, uh, it's right next to a bedding area. I don't have to run and gun to set it up. I'm going in, climbing up and it's going to, it's one of my best stands. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting to hunt it. So that's (laughs) not going to say that said, (laughs) oh man, it's a usual (laughs) rut hunt or it's a usual rut stand, but I'm assuming what's what makes us a good stand why is this your best stand because I, I know a lot of our rut stands are just like generic funnel stands maybe between bedding areas or something but yep. i'm thinking that might not be what this is if it's a, if you're trying to hunt at this time of year what makes this stand so good at this time of year do you think it is close to a big bedding area in between crop fields and the wind will be skirting that um skirting that stand location where it will be coming through this natural gap between the thick bedding cover and the um, and the field edge. So I'm going to be in about 50 or 60 yards off the field edge on where two main trails cross that each go to a different cornfield. And, and there's oak trees and um, uh, yeah, oak trees all along that little, that natural gap. And I'm going to be butt up next to this creek where they cross to get into that area. Nice. Tons of sign every year I go in, tons of rubs, tons of scrapes. So I, I just have a feeling that with this northwest wind that I'm supposed to have um, Friday night that I'm going to get something coming in with a cold front and the, the rising barometer. That sounds good, man. I think that sounds like a great place to be. Yep. Um and I, I totally agree with your logic that now is a great time to hunt something like that because this middle of October time period, if you do know where these deer are, if you do know historically some of these better spots to be, and if you get conditions like this, the deer are going to be, you know, there's a very good chance they could be moving, especially, you know, yeah. like in your case, you've kept the pressure off that spot. So, you know, that's exactly what happened for me middle of October last year when I had a cold front, I had good conditions, I knew where I thought the buck I was hunting called Jawbreaker was bedded, and I pushed in there close for those couple days during that cold front, and I got a shot at him. So I definitely yep. think there's some truth to that. And, and so my plan this year, while I don't I, – I, 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 
I'm not trying to talk here. I know very little about this property that I'm going to be going and trying to figure out. But still, I think I know where probably one of the better areas to bed for a buck would be. And I think I know one of the more likely food sources that he'll be probably hitting this time of year. So my plan, even though I've never hunted before, my first sit, I'm going to go in there and try to get somewhere in between that best bedding area that I can think of and that best food source. And since I don't know it well enough, I'm not going to push in too close. I'll stay a little bit closer to the edge and observe. But I think that general area is where I'll need to be. So hopefully that first night I'll learn something, maybe see him if there's a nice buck in there. Um, and maybe I can adjust for the next night. I don't know, but I think, um, it's the type of night, it's the type of weekend where you can have that kind of action. Yep. And I, and I will be hunting that same stand the next morning too. Yeah. And I just, I just feel that if you limit yourself, if you go in and you hunt a stand and now let's see, I'm a, I'm a believer of hunting, of hunting mornings this time of year. If the if the information from my trail camera says there's a, a big buck in the area, a mature one of my hit list deer in the area. All right. But yep. you also need to know what the pattern is for morning movement. So I'm going to be hunting this stand. I haven't been in there. I don't have a trail camera in there because I moved it since they've been logging. Um, logging is done now. The, that's good. The, the crops are out now. So that's good. That's good for me. But I need to also see what the morning movement's like. And if there's no morning movement, then it tells me it's not quite ready yet. If there is some morning movement, I'm going to credit that to this cold front that's coming through. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what you, what yeah. you, uh, what you, what comes up on your trail cameras and from your sightings and stuff. That'll right. be always interesting to see. It's, you know, we, we've gone around and around in circles on it. It's high risk, but yep. if you think you've got the right opportunity, you and I think you it. can be high risk if you're not hunting a certain stand all the time. I think you can get aggressive uh, this time of year, pop into a place that maybe conditions won't be, you know, let's say it's not the rut. So, but if you're not hunting it, I mean, I only hunt the weekends this time of year. So, and I'm not hunting that stand, you know, I haven't hunted that stand at all this year. Will I hunt it the previous weekend? I don't know. I don't know what the wind conditions are going to be. I don't know what the temperature and all that stuff's going to be because that will dictate where I'm going to set. But, you know, you got to use all that information and that may say, yeah, I mean, I need to, I need to jump in there. Yeah. I think a big thing too comes down to, like you said, you don't have to hunt that same stand a lot because you have, you know, so many hundreds of acres of land and multiple opportunities um, where you can move around and shift where you're hunting. And if you do burn out one stand, you know, on a morning hunt and you get spook a deer or something, you've got other options. You've got total other places, parts of the property where, you know, those won't be affected. The guy that's hunting 20 acres and that's all he has, that might be another story. Um, that's right. But when you have options, when you have, you know, three, four hundred acres or a couple different properties, um, you can have the luxury of getting a little bit more aggressive, trying different things because, hey, if it doesn't work, move on to the next spot. That's right. Um, so big takeaways for me for mid-October is, you know, understanding that, you know, there is not necessarily low in activity. It's just having to adjust. So adjust to those patterns and then take advantage when you get those conditions that are going to get them moving like we have this weekend. The, the, cold, the cold weather fronts, rising barometer, the correct moon rising or setting times. And I checked you right. I was wrong about the moon stuff. Misspoke on that. Um, or the overhead underfoot. All that stuff. All those things can move or uh, can get deer moving maybe a little bit earlier and give you that little edge. So mid-October, you can definitely still pull it off. 
So if you have a smaller piece of property, my suggestion would be, or if you're not so confident in the reason I'm jumping into my good spot right now is because I've been hunting this property for several years. If you haven't been hunting a property or you you hunt a smaller piece of property, now would be an excellent time for an observation stand. Yes. Yeah. If you don't have this intel, if you don't feel confident, you know everything you just said, Dan, I absolutely agree. This is the time to play it safe mm-hmm. um, and wait for that time period a little later in the year, late October into the first couple weeks of November when you can, you know, things are a little bit more loosey-goosey. That's right. And so, I, I feel like I've been, I drank a whole pot of coffee. I'm like just so pumped to get out in the woods. <laughs> I feel like uh, I could push a car. Dude, those, when these, when these weather fronts come through, it just gets me just like that. Jack, yeah. there's, there's nothing in my opinion that if I had to, if I had to look at just only one single thing, it's these temperature drops. Yeah. I can just plan my, my sits around that. Everything else helps a little bit, gives me a little bit of an edge, but this, when you see these cold fronts come through, that is just a huge, huge, huge influencer on deer movement. So I'm just constantly checking the 10-day forecast, praying for that big cold front. And we finally got one. So, That's right. So late October, let's real quick move to that. That last, you know, I kind of I look at October in like kind of three phases. I don't know how you break it up in your head, but I kind of look at October 1st through like the 7th is kind of that early season time period for me where there's some of that early pattern still going on. They haven't necessarily been impacted by the hunting pressure as much really it's just the, in spots like michigan it's like the first couple days but after that kind of 7th 8th of october i feel it's kind of that you know we'll call it the lull or mid-october or whatever where they have they start shifting the october shift maybe we should call it um i kind of for me i look at that being like october 7th through like the 23rd or somewhere around there is kind of this period where they're they're shifting they're readjusting to changes and that's that time period where I've, you know, like we just talked about, I'm only getting aggressive if I feel like there's a really good reason to do so. Otherwise, playing it safe. But then when you get to like that 24th or 25th of October, that last six, seven days in the month, I feel like you kind of enter that next phase, that pre-rut period of October yeah. that I think can really be dynamite. Um especially if you know there's a buck that's local to your area because that time period these bucks are starting to get a little edgy they're starting to move a little bit more they're starting to take a few more risks but they're still staying local in their area they're not ranging as much as some of these bucks might in november so you have this opportunity if you know where homebody buck is during those last few days of october you can catch him before he starts straying off the off his usual patterns so that is a time period i get exceptionally excited about right that's right. I I I hunt pretty much the same all year. It's just that I'm making more moves towards the end of October because my, there's more information on my trail cameras. Um, the you know like and I but I agree with you. The the early season, the quote unquote. Sh- I'm not going to say it. The shift. The shift. <laughs> and the shift, and then the pre rut, and then the pre rut is when I'm. I'm hunting scrapes. I'm hunting a lot of scrapes in the in the pre-rut. Yeah, and that's for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Studies have shown that that last like around the 20th, I can't remember the exact date range, but there's a specific date range where a couple of these studies out of some of these different universities have got, maybe it's Penn State or uh, Mississippi State, or there's a number of these universities that have got some pretty strong research um, programs related to deer, and they've shown that that is the peak of scraping is that you know pre-rut, just before November, 
deer hitting those scrapes a lot. And if you're ever going to hunt scrapes, I think that's your your one best opportunity where they there will be that draw to come check them. Right. So I've got one scrape on one of my Michigan properties here where every single year, especially when they're standing corn, these are bucks are hitting this scrape during daylight. I get trail camera pictures of mature bucks on the scrape in daylight every single year between like the 18th of October and the 28th of October. There's always someone hitting them. Um, you know, it's not every single day all the time, but they're going to be there at some point. If you're, if you're out there enough, you could catch them. So yep, this, this time of year towards that pre-rut area, I think right now they're, they're, they're doing a lot of nocturnal scraping and they are rubbing too. They're doing a lot of rubbing. So every, every time you head it back out in the woods, keep your eyes open. Cause you're going to see a lot more rubs popping up over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Very true. Now, are you doing it? You know, we've talked a lot about sign over the past couple of years, but as you're walking in to hunt somewhere, if you see some rubs or scrape, are you ever the type that's going to pop up your stand right there and hunt that because it looks fresh and used or, or no? Yes. If it is a new property, so I'm, I setting up on sign is great because there has been deer there in the past. So you would think that deer would come through again at some point. That's awesome. But that doesn't mean they're coming there every day at the same time, or especially during daylight hours. So what I do is if I'm new to a property, I'll set a, up over sign initially and then use that as an observation to adjust my stand locations based on where I'm seeing movement. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, I think, you know, like you mentioned a little bit ago, most of that activity is happening at night, but it still is indicative of the fact that there were deer using this area at some point. And so if you're just starting to learn, that's a great place to start. Yep. That's right. Starting to learn a property. Um, on the, the other way to look at it, is, you know, if you have a property where terrain and topography might funnel deer moving to some degree, like let's say, you know, when you're breaking down a new property and we're trying to figure out the basics of that property, right? You're trying to identify, okay, here's where I think the bedding areas are. Here's where I think the food sources are. And then it's, okay, how are they traveling between the two? And especially for this, you know, October, basically most of October, those are the main things you really have to understand. How are deer getting from bedding to feeding? And then how do they move between the two? And then where do I need to set up in between? So if you're looking at things like uh, terrain funnels or topography funnels, ridges, saddles, um, whatever it might be, setting up somewhere like there where when you're heading into one of those places like that, when you do see sign within an area like that, that helps you narrow down. Okay, I thought that this ridge line would be where they're bedding. I thought they'd come down this and they'd feed in these two crop fields. Uh, when I'm trying to figure out where to put my stand in between those two, though, if you see a line of rubs or if you see a cluster of scrapes, okay, now I know from this 100-yard area, now I know, okay, this 40 yards is probably the best yard of that 100-yard. So it's a good way to narrow things down, I think. Yep, Exactly. And then you can, of course, then continue to narrow things down by using trail cameras, which we talk about a lot, um, as you're trying to really figure out how these deer are using a certain spot. And in that in that late October time frame, what you're going to get, I think, you're not going to see necessarily a huge change once you once you figure out how deer have shifted in middle in the middle of October. They're not going to all of a sudden change things a whole bunch on October 26th or 27th or something like that. But what you might get is you might get that buck that's feeding in this food source coming from that bedding area, he might do it 20 minutes earlier on the 28th than he did on the 15th because he's starting to get 
a little more amped up, he's wanting to check those does, maybe just start feeling them out, that's when you can start getting a little bit earlier movement. You might be able to get away with a few more things, and uh, they might step up, mess up a little bit. So That's right. It's all about, I think, again, at that time frame, as it is all year, really, but again, watching the weather, too. For me, it's when those cold fronts hit in late October again, that's going to be a huge trigger. That's really going to get them going, and you might start seeing some early rut action even at that point if you get a really solid cold front hitting. It, well, and the uh, the prediction is calling for an early rut, quote-unquote, yeah. early yeah. rut this year. Yeah. So I think they said you know there could be a, a huge increased movement by October 24th this year is when some, some of the stuff could start kicking off, which, you know, take that for what it's worth. Yeah, and that's that's the, the moon theory. The rutting yep. moon theory that, that yep. like you said, exactly, that 24th time period, I think. Charles Elsheimer theory about the the moon's effect on the timing of the rut or the intensity of the rut is indicating, supposedly, that that will be when it's starting to kick off. So something to keep in mind. Um, I'll, I hope it's the case because I'll be in yeah. Ohio that time frame, so I wouldn't mind seeing some extra action. Right. And one thing that I, I'm going to say is now – Okay, so I saw this. I saw this buck this weekend. He he comes into the field. He asserts his dominance. He puts his head back. He chases some bucks off of the off the field. He makes a scrape. His body was showing me that he was aggressive and he was looking to, you know, basically not take crap from anybody. If you see that, now might be a good time to throw a grunt his way. Now I'm this weekend is the first time I'm going to I'm going to take calls into the timber with me rattling antlers and uh, and a grunt call. Yeah, that's good. It's a good point to make. This is the it's going to start ramping up from here. You can, you know, I think every week you've got an opportunity to maybe be a little bit more aggressive every week, wouldn't you say? Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not blind calling. I'm waiting to see if I first of all if I see a buck, if I do see him, I'm going to say Okay, let me look at his what his body's telling me. Is his body telling me he's you know he's pissed off and he's making scrapes and raking trees? Then I'll call at him. But if he's not doing that this time of, this time of year, no, I'm not calling at him at all. Yeah, it's definitely for me. I'm the same thing. I'm not doing any blind calling at all. I'll only grunt. And at this point, I'm still pr- relatively non-aggressive with that grunt. If there's a deer that I see that I just need to come in a little bit more, just try to get him a little aggressive. I think. Um, but, but yeah, interesting, interesting thing though, to note the first three hunts of the season. Well, I don't know, maybe it's the first two and then two hunts later, my first night hunting, I saw two different sets of bucks sparring. The second night of my season, I saw two bucks sparring. And then this weekend on the ninth, I had two bucks sparring as I was walking out, I could hear them. So I've never had that four different times having bucks sparring in the first nine days of October. That was interesting to me and just indicative of the fact that even in the early season, you know, they are nothing aggressive, you know, just kind of tickling their tines and kind of just feeling around. But uh, there is something to be said that these deer are starting to just kind of feel their oats and just kind of test their limits at this point. And then as the month goes on, that just gets more and more serious until you get to November when all of a sudden things get potentially nasty they get real yeah yeah that's the truth man i'll tell you what down in ohio there's you know so many nice mature bucks i swear one of these days it hasn't happened for me yet but one of these days down there i'm gonna put the decoy out 
and I'm going to rattle, and just a toad is going to come just piling in. And I just dream <laughs> of it, and I can't wait. One of these days it's going to happen. I can just see it now, this huge five-year-old puffed up and ears back and drool coming out of his mouth just like just stiff legging it up and then he yeah. starts angling in and then I start shaking and my hands won't stop and man that's gonna be cool and he's gonna pile drive the decoy and run away before I can get a shot <laughs> <laughs> or the wind will knock over the decoy yeah. and the again. <laughs> but but it's a good dream until then that's right so I, I got a question for you and maybe I know we're running we're coming up on time here pretty soon but I want to know how you're going to approach your Iowa property Okay. Yeah. The only scouting you've really done is what a quick walkthrough and maybe some maps. Yep, that's exactly it. I got. And, and I one got. one thing you said that I was just kind of kind of made me tense was you said you're going to go check trail cameras, but you know you're not going to hunt it. How do you know you're not going to hunt that property? So I have two different farms that I can hunt. Okay. And one of them, you know, it's it's twelve hundred acres. Yep. 1,300 acres, 1,250 acres. That's a lot of land. So yep. I'm seeing here, like, you know, how can I, how do I narrow this down? Um, and so my thought process is I've done a lot of scouting, just digital scouting, really paying attention to the maps, um, trying to figure out as much as I can about the area. And so my thought process for this weekend was check cameras on both properties, set out more cameras on both properties. Um, and then I was looking at two different ideas. One, try to put, you know, I only have th- I have uh, two days, maybe two and a half days to hunt. So yeah. it's do I do one day on one property, one day on the other property, or do I try to double down on one and just learn a lot more about that one and let the cameras just work on the other one? And then when the rut comes, okay, I've got cameras running on both, and I've got you know a decent sample set of time on the one that I think has the highest potential. That's kind of gotcha. where my that's kind of where my head's at right now because there's no way to learn. 1200 acres of property in two days, you know, I just, I can't do that. So it's, it's more so do I go really thin across everything or do I try to go a little bit deeper on a smaller section? So my thought process at this point is, is let the cameras work on the one. Now, if I go to that property Friday morning and check that camera and that's loaded up with mature deer and the other one isn't, well, then that's going to change things completely. Yeah. Um, but I'm working on assumptions right now. And my assumption is that this one might be worth a little bit more time. So, again, we'll see. I'm going to check that camera, check those cameras. The first night I'm planning on hunting property, the west property is what I call it. And, you know, we'll see what happens that night. Maybe I see something, maybe I don't, or maybe I find out there's a whole bunch of hunters out there. Um, You know, I'm going to be adjusting. It's going to be a lot of trying things and adjusting. Um, So that's my approach to this weekend. Um, then from then I'm, I'm going to hopefully, you know, learned a handful of things. I'm trying to get a handful of trail cameras on both properties just so I can learn a little bit while I'm not there. I'm going to keep on studying those maps. And then when I come back, I'm going to be coming back and starting to hunt on Halloween and hunting Halloween through like November 7th or 8th. So at that time, it's just going to be taking everything I learned from that first weekend, checking all the cameras when I get there. And then just trying to, okay, based on what I learned about some deer movement or where other hunters are or something, where do I think the absolute best funnels are for the rut? You know, those generic rut type sets that, you know, even though I don't know much about the property, just based on the terrain, this should be good movement or should be an area of good movement. And then I'm just going to have to start trying them and seeing what happens. So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for me is just figuring out, you know, how do I, how do I properly allocate my time between these two spots? Do I do I bounce around all the time or do I double down on one and really focus on learning that? You know, I think there's a risk of like trying to try too many things, 
But then there's the risk of getting tunnel vision. I don't know. There's no perfect answer, I think. I'm just going to have to learn as I go, I think. You got to throw out some mock scrapes? Uh, yeah, I'll be putting cameras on mock scrapes for sure. Um, that's one of my favorite things to do at this time of year is just to get the cameras on that because at least I can learn, okay, what deer in the area, and then, you know, I can get an idea of what time of day they're in that general area too. So that'll be helpful. Um, and, you know, something I'm starting to do now is just put mock scrapes in front of as many of my tree stands as I can, not because I think that they're going to be, like, the reason why I'm going to hunt that tree stand, but because I think it's like a tree stand um, uh, optimizer is what I've been saying. Gotcha. Um, I wrote a blog post about this earlier this week. Just, you know, if you have a scrape in front of your stand, even though that's not necessarily why a deer is going to come through this area, if he's coming through this area for another reason, which is why I put the stand there, if he does happen to come through like I thought he would, you know, there's a chance that maybe that little mock scrape will bring him in the extra 10 yards I need to get that shot. Or it might get him to pause for three seconds so I can get that shot when, if it wasn't there, maybe he would have walked right through that shooting lane. So for those couple little reasons, I think it's worth putting something like that out there just because in many cases, if there is a scrape, you know, if a deer is passing through and he happens to see it, there's a good chance he'll at least stop to briefly check it out. That's right. So that's how I'm using them this year. Well, I hope it all pays off for you, buddy. Man, I hope so too. It's either going to be an awesome story of figuring out these properties and finding a way to have success, or it's going to be a miserable, embarrassing failure. <laughs> well, wait, wait a second. I'm going to tell you right now, all the all this talk, you've written articles about it. I've written, uh, written articles about it, about you know not taking shortcuts and all this stuff. I'm telling you right now on this pro- Iowa property, you are going to be tearing down and setting up a lot especially if this is a brand new this is a brand new property. Oh, so yeah. although you already know this, I'm going to tell you no short no shortcuts, Mark. Appreciate the reminder. Okay. There's definitely going to be some days where I'm going to be sitting there thinking, "Man, I do not want to move this." But, <laughs> but I know I'm going to have to. That's right. So I'm just I'm preparing myself for a lot of uh I don't want to say miserable moments, but just moments of just saying, "Ugh." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just pound a five-hour energy and then uh, just do it. Yep, exactly. Man, it's gonna be it's gonna be a grind. It's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. I know it's gonna be, but I think there's you know definitely potential to to have some fun too. So, yep. I'm pumped. I mean, sometimes even knowing a property really really well can keep you from making the adjustments that you need to. Right, you get too comfortable. Exactly. So. I think you and me will definitely have plenty to talk about in the coming weeks because we're going to be testing a bunch of our theories and our assumptions and seeing if some of these things can come together for us. So I'm excited to see what does happen. Good luck to you and good luck to all of our listeners. Thank you, sir. And I agree. Good luck to everyone out there. And on that note, I think we should wrap up the show. Um, As we ask every week, if you've been enjoying the show, it would be awesome if you could leave us a rating or review on iTunes. I think we have 350 reviews right now, um, of which 347 are five-star reviews. So thank you so much to everyone out there who's been reviewing the podcast. That is the biggest influencer on us getting new listeners. So thanks so much for helping us uh, achieve that goal. Um, Also, make sure to check out the Whitetail Q&A podcast, which is uh, my second podcast where I'm answering quick listener-submitted questions that definitely think will be of interest. I think other than that, we just need to thank our partners who do make this podcast possible. And, you know, we are very appreciative of that. These guys have stepped out on a limb 
and helped us keep the lights on. It takes time, energy, money, all those things to make a podcast like this. So big thank you to Sitka Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Hunterra Maps, Ozonics, Carbon Express, Lacrosse Boots, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. Thank you to all those companies. One more thing, Dan. You know what? Wear your safety harness. That That's a great piece of advice. Absolutely. Wear your safety harness. Say it again. What was that, Dan? Wear your safety harness. <laughs> it's not hard. No. I mean, I'm already seeing guys slip out of the tree. I had, I, I um, not this weekend, but last weekend, I slipped on my boots. Uh, my boots had some mud on it. And I slipped while I was climbing into my stand from the top step. And I, you know, I had to catch myself on my safety harness. I, you know, luckily my safety harness was on and it was really tight. So I didn't fall hardly at all, but wear your safety harness. Yeah. It's scary how fast something like that can happen. Yeah. So one other update and probably everyone's already signed off by now, but if you're still listening, you get a little sneak peek. I am checking my Iowa trail cameras, like I just mentioned. And so what that means, Dan, is that we are going to have our final results in for the trail camera contest. That's right. So here's what I want to know. We have two bucks on right now that are really similar in size. Yep. Okay. So how are we going to do this? You know, I can't say my buck's bigger and you can't say your buck's bigger. Is it going to be up to the viewers to have a vote to see whose buck is actually the biggest? Yeah. I think what we have to do is we have to, you know, like I think we talked. Know, a month or two ago about this one idea where maybe we try to get a couple like expert guesses on score but then you know if we can get that great we'll add that as like some context but otherwise we get whatever pictures we have of that buck of each buck put them out there and then just let them vote which one do you think has the highest gross score and i think and to even add it add to the t- to it i think we need to because i think we have more than each have a buck. I have two bucks that are probably close to the same size, and I think you have two bucks that are close to the same size. Uh, well, I do have one that – well, I've got two that are pretty big, um, but I think one definitely scores better. But I can we can put them both out there. Yeah, I, say um, we, I say we bring our top two to the table okay. and, then, and then let the, the listeners decide because I think Mark Kenyon is just as big as Gordon Bombay. They're studs. From an inches standpoint. Yeah, they're studs. And then when I win, see, call up my buddy Ric Flair. And <laughs> <laughs> That'll be an interesting episode if it ever happens, but unfortunately it probably won't. I'm sorry, man, because Junkyard is a stud. Yeah, he's a, he's a slob. He's a slob, but they're they're all big deer. And I think we're, we're actually really stupid lucky that we both have a couple deer like that running around our farms. That's, that's pretty crazy. Blessed. Very, very blessed. Well... Hopefully, maybe we'll, maybe both of us will end up killing one of these deer, and we'll have the best year ever. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, if I kill Mark Kenyon, or Tupac, or Gordon Bombay, or any of my other hit listers, you'll hear me scream like a little schoolgirl <laughs> from wherever you're at. You'll be like, "Did I just hear a girl scream?" Well, Dallas must have shot a buck. <laughs> well, I hope I get to hear that. Well. With all that said, <laughs> take a drink. <laughs> thanks for I'm joining us. Here. Yeah, thanks for joining <laughs> us. Have a great week. Good luck hunting and stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. 
Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill.